Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron We're still at it. Nothing's going to stop us. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. What's going on, everybody? My name is Aaron Camaro, joined as always by my good friend. Unfortunately, in these times, nobody's still quite sure if it's safe to get together. So by the power of Skype, he's here with us, Chris Sinzak. I digitally raise a beer to you, sir. Right back at you, my friend. Man, we're going to have some fun again this week. It's Can you believe it? It's the 12th week of the quarantine sessions where we've just been taking all kinds of questions from our listeners and discussing the things that they want us to talk about. And you know what? It's been a lot of fun. And so 12 weeks later, here we are again. We always have ourselves a special guest, and we've got one once again today. But before we get to what we got going on, we got to take care of our business. You know what? We talk about it at the top of every single episode you can give them to us. We need them. It's iTunes reviews, Podchaser reviews, Facebook recommendations. However you want to give it to us, we're more than happy to accept it. And when you do, we're going to read it on the show. And guess what? Last week we didn't have anything. That's okay. Because this week we got a real good one. And it's an Apple Podcast review. It's entitled, My First Rock Concerts. It's all five stars. goes a little something like this. My first rock concert, KISS, Dynasty, with special guest Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. My first unsupervised rock concert, Iron Maiden, with special guest Quiet Riot. My first podcast review, this one. Thank you for continuing to provide entertainment for us through these strange times. My bad for not five-starring you years ago. Rock on. And that comes to us from Dean from right here in the good old USA. A sweet podcast review on Apple. You gotta love it. Very cool. Kiss Dynasty with Bob Saker and the Silver Silver Bullet Band. That'd be that'd be a hell of a show. Shoot, yeah, man. How about we hop in the rock and roll time machine and kick on back for that one? That would be fun. And also Iron Maiden and Quiet Riot. That's gotta yeah. be a good one too. Oh, man. I love our listeners, not just for the sweet reviews, but for the awesome questions they've been sending in. You guys keep those reviews coming because, like I said, and you already know, we really, really like them, if you can't tell. 
Another thing yeah. we really liked was the awesome response we got to last week's Quarantine Sessions episode with our awesome friend, the Mooger Fooger. How crazy did that get? I don't remember the last half of it, so it tells you how crazy it got. <laughs> oh, so much fun. So long to edit. I laughed so much. It took me like hours to edit that episode, but it was all worth it in the end. Thanks again to the Mooger Fooger and all our awesome guests that we've had so far on the quarantine sessions. It's not just the listener questions that make these shows great, but also our kick-ass guests. And so far, we've been getting the best. Those of you that shared on Facebook and retweeted on Twitter are this week's Geeks of the Week. This week's Geeks of the Week are Aaron Baker, Andrew Jacobs, Craig Turdich, Kristen Schimbeck, Grayson Gallegos, Steve Yakin, David Glenn, Jeffrey Mendenhall, Jay Shabluski, Wayne Cross, John Phillips, Mikhail Burrell, Shay Hargett, Mike Parnell, Christopher Stokes, Matt Porter, Bill Elam, Eric Luzier, Keith Rockford, David Cathy, Hakon Bergstad, Joel Hoffman, Ernesto Aguiar, Body of the Soul, JJP, Eladio, Amber 838X, and as always, and as last week, the, the Mooger, Mooger Fooger. Thank you to everybody that got out there and shared and retweeted and just helped us get the word out about the Mooger Fooger special episode on the Decibel Geek Podcast. If you guys want to become Honorary Geeks of the Week next week, you know how to do it. Just get on out there on the internet, spread the word, share the post from the Facebook page or Twitter or wherever you're doing it, and we're going to include you as an Honorary Geek of the Week next week. So easy, so simple, so much fun. You want to introduce our guest this week? Shoot, yeah, I do. I'm really excited for this. Oh, man, I've been missing this guy, too. I haven't talked to him since last time we did Rockin' Pod way back in 2019. We had so many awesome guests and so many cool friends that we made at Rockin' Pod the last year that we just had to bring one on with us. And the time now is perfect because his awesome band, 8-Ball, has got a brand new album coming out. We're going to talk about that. We're going to answer all the listener questions that you guys sent that we found. And introducing our guest right now from 8-Ball, our friend and soon to be yours, it's David. What's going on, brother? Hey, Aaron. Great to hear from you guys. Great to be with you here tonight. We appreciate y'all having us on. We're just uh, trying to get through this uh, crap like everyone else and ready to get back to rocking. Well, it sounds like you've been using your time wisely. Yes, it came at a good time. We were we went in the studio right after uh, Thanksgiving and uh, got to finish the album. We had plenty of time this time. We've kind of rushed the others. And uh, everything from artwork to the, the mastering and all, is we've had more time. So we think we've got a, a lot better product, man. We're, we can't wait to get it out there and get some uh, feedback from you guys. Very cool. Well, I uh, I listened to it today thanks to your guitar player Chuck sending it our way. Yeah, and, thanks uh, Chuck. It's uh it's really good, man. Like and uh, like the the thing that uh, there's a lot of variety in the songs, and then what really struck me was the the production of this is so good. Like every you can hear all the instruments separated, super good, and it just has a good beefy guitar sound to it. And, uh, yeah, I had a good time listening to it. So, you know, the album's called Love Struck, and uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Well, great. So we're, we're really proud of it, and we hope everyone likes it. Yeah, David, I got a chance to spin through it today myself. First time listen, you know, sometimes it's hit and miss on a first time listen. Sometimes you listen yeah. to it first time and you go, eh, and then you listen to it a few more times and it hits you. Other times yeah. it's dynamite right off the start, and that's what this one was for me, man. I love it on the first listen. I got a good feeling I'm going to love it even more on the second. Awesome, guys. I, we really appreciate that. Uh, 
like uh, Chris said, there's some variety in there. We we have a pretty wide range, but you know, the great thing about this band is that the riders we have uh, all you know T the drummer's new, but the bass of us the four have been together four years, and we we really. We just really write well together. I mean, it's not just one person doing it, and there's all different genres coming into it. So, you know, some people say, well, you need one specific sound. Well, maybe so, but, you know, we, we feel we've got a sound, but we've got a range of music in it. So hopefully people th- see it that way. Yeah, and the, the ones that hit me right off the bat, and you got them in a row, are track three, four, and five, Chasing Your Dreams, Harder, Faster, and the title track, Love Struck. Um, And all all three very different types of songs. Very, uh, I love that. I do have to ask, though, why do you have a problem with Opie from the Andy Griffith Show? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, (laughs) well, Opie was a bully, you know. You knew Opie was a bully. Um, Actually... You know, Opie came getting on a serious note there. Opie was a, uh, uh, there's several of us been affected by opioid addiction. So, Oh, well, I'm sorry I, for making a crude joke. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> well, it's called Opie. And I was like, what did Opie ever do to you guys? <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, Okay, well, I guess we should have we should put a disclaimer in there or something to straighten that out. But uh, maybe we just that's need, what to, that's, need to sit down with Chris and have the talk with him. Yeah, explain yeah. the world. <laughs> yeah, there's a crisis going on, Chris. I don't know if you've heard about it or not. It's got opioids, right. so it's not good. Uh, it's not good at all. No, it's not. And and we had, there's been several of us had some. A close cause with that stuff. So it, that was where that came from. My wife suffers, my children cry. But for you, to them I'll lie. They're so embarrassed, I'm so ashamed. Yet I keep playing this losing game. I borrow money. I sell everything I do it all for the high you bring My life is spinning out of control you know affect somebody on it that's had some trouble with it you know that's what you hope a song will do some a serious song like that yeah well so this is a new record I, this is the earliest in the show i've ever put my foot in my mouth oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm sure it's not i'm sure if we went back through the archives sure we could find <laughs> thanks for the support <laughs> well that's the first i've heard that Mm-hmm. It'll probably be the last too. It's a bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh man, off to a start. 
No, that's very cool, man. You know, I always see, like, uh, for example, I follow Donnie V on his Facebook, and, you know, it's cool to see the people, the fans that will reach out to him and say, hey, this song you wrote, you know, 10 years ago about, you know, your struggles with with drugs has really spoken to me and has helped me, you know, or somebody that looks at Ace Fraley and says, hey, man, you've been sober for a while now, you know, and that's really inspired me and has helped me. That's cool, you know, that's awesome. And I know as an artist, there can't be much more higher praise than that, something that makes you feel good about something you created. Oh, without a doubt. You know, uh, when people come up and tell you, you know, they like the song, they can relate to it. It's, you know, it's just the most, I guess the most awesome feeling you can have is that people can understand what you're trying to put out. You know, most of our songs are, you know, heartfelt and and. Even the ones, crazy ones, and the the fast ones, and the you know rock and roll, they're they're all what we are and what we try to be and what we try to put out there to you know let's kick ass, let's have a good time, let's you know let's we like to drive fast, we like fast cars, we love fast women, you know. <laughs> so you know uh, most people can relate, and usually they tell you that, and it's great. It's always great to hear that that. People are understanding what you're writing. With a band like 8-Ball, a lot of the songs that I can relate to are the ones about bringing back rock and roll and, you know, celebrating the music. Well, great. Thanks. Again, appreciate the uh, comments there. uh, We've all been playing for years, and uh, we've seen the phases come and go. And, you know, it's, it's, it's funny how even all the age groups that you go through now and you see from 10 years old, my granddaughter, she's eight or nine all the way up to 70 years old, love the basic rock and roll from the eighties mostly. And you know, no one's writing that anymore. They don't seem to be. And you know, we've lost that, that sense of, uh, you know, just good music. So, we're trying to we're trying to bring some of that back if we can. Yeah, I think it's more of it's not that it's not out there. It's that there's no MTV music videos no more. The rock radio stations don't play the good rock bands anymore. So it's out there. It's just harder to find it, you know. But that's where podcasts, I think, come in, you know, because we've kind of taken over. As if somebody's looking for. If somebody's looking to be introduced to new bands and artists that go along with the bands and artists they already like, and they like the kind of stuff that we dig, then they can learn all kinds of stuff by listening to our show. And there's countless other ones out there that love rock as much as we do that are doing the same thing. So you got the podcast, brother, and we're proving it today by bringing you some 8-Ball. I don't think your local rock station is doing that, but they probably should be. (laughs) <laughs> no, no. The only way we get on our local station is if we pay for it. So, you know, that's 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 the way of the times now. But, you know, we're grateful for, for the podcast because, you know, people like us, we don't stand a chance in uh, today's uh, venue of, uh, you know, commercial music or record deals or things like that. If it wasn't for guys like y'all, we would – we wouldn't have any airplay at all. So we, we, I think all of us are grateful and show, have a lot of gratitude for you guys for doing what you do. And, 
And I do agree. There is a lot of good music out there. It's just it's not you can't hear it on the mainstream radio anymore. It's you've got to go to a podcast or, you know, a different type station. And I'm glad it's there. And we again, appreciate you guys. Very cool. Yeah, well, you know, we're obviously going to help get the word out through this episode. And and we've sung you guys' praises, uh, you know, numerous times on the show, especially the great performances you guys put on at Rocket Pod last oh, yeah. year. That was that was a great time. And, and you guys were so professional and great to work with. Um, I, you know, I couldn't have asked for, for a better band to be involved with the whole weekend because, as you, as you can imagine, it was a lot of work. But uh, you guys came off great. I heard several good compliments from – people that were in the crowd for both shows and, mm-hmm. and i you know just want to extend my appreciation again for what you guys did for me it was our pleasure chris and we again uh hats off to you you put on an incredible event and i think it was successful and uh we were we were uh, grateful to be a part of it uh it helped us get into the nashville scene we had not played around nashville much so uh, it was uh, great for us as well so Again, appreciate that. Oh. We got a lot of uh, a lot of different people there that didn't know who Abel was. So it's uh, it was great exposure for us guys. It, it truly was. Yeah, they definitely know now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And shout out to uh, our mutual friend Alan Tate, who goes way back with you guys. So a uh, fellow podcaster yeah. and also had, uh, had you on ages of rock podcast recently. So check that out too, guys. Yes, they did. They were a great bunch of guys. And, you know, we were got on that interview and I don't think I got a chance to thank them, but if they're listening guys, thank you guys so much for, for having us on and, uh, uh, we hope we can return the favor someday doing something. So great show. Alan's a great guy. So we appreciate appreciate John. Cool. All right. Well, I mean, last week before we got to our questions, it was a real bummer. We had to stop and take a moment to talk about Bob Kulik, who had just passed away. And I think without trying to bring things down before we bring things up with the questions, I think we ought to dedicate this episode to the memory of Grandma Dope our good friend, Graham Owens, from the Heavy Metal Parking Lot. David, you know about the Heavy Metal Parking Lot? No, I can't say I do, Aaron. It's a video. What year was it, Chris? Uh, 1986. So somebody showed up with a video camera in 1986 and went to a Judas Priest concert and just hung out in the parking lot before the show and saw all the young dudes out there partying and having a good time. And... The video lives on to this day. You can go on YouTube and watch it. And, of course, the young kids that were there for the Judas Priest show that were screaming about their favorite bands and drinking beer and doing drugs and being young and having fun, they all grew up, you know. And so now they're all adults, and so people still watch this on the Internet. So for the very first Rockin' Pod, Chris gathered up some of the people that had a hand in that, the guy that filmed it and directed it, and a couple of the key people that were featured in it. And one of those guys was a guy named Graham. And when they when they are filming him, they say, hey, what's your name? And he says, Graham, like Graham a dope, man. <laughs> and, and he shows up to Rockin' Pod, the very first one, and is such an awesome dude. And him and uh, Johnny, what DC 101 guy, right? Yeah. 
We're so cool, you know, and the guy that was brilliant enough to bring a camera down there that one day and capture it for all eternity. And recently we got the word that Graham had passed away. So, you know, I think we dedicate this episode to him and answer a bunch of really good questions and make it a really good episode. Yeah, I'm, uh, I actually talked to Jeff Krulik, who directed Heavy Metal Parking Lot. I talked to him on the phone last night because he didn't know yet. And, uh, and we had a, we talked for like an hour and had a good conversation about Graham and, you know, how he had done so much with his life. He was, his, me and him also bonded because we both have sons that are in the military. And, uh, he's so proud of his son. And, you know, he just, he turned himself into a really great man after a lot of struggle over the years. He even wrote a book about mm-hmm. everything that he had gone through. And, uh, we had a great talk, and um, next year is the 35th anniversary of Heavy Metal Parking Lot. So me and Jeff already was like, well, maybe we could do something at Rock and Pod next year. So, um, and if we do, it will definitely be a tribute to Graham for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I guess with that being said, are you guys ready to get to the listener questions? Yeah. Yes. All right. It. So I'm ready to knock them out for you guys. So I'll run down the list. Our first one, first couple of them here come from Instagram. The first one is from Joseph DeCerbo. And he says, hello, love your show. Here are some questions for your next quarantine session. Wrathchild America or Malaya Rage? You guys, I've never heard of Malaya Rage. I've never heard of Malaya Rage. David, you ever heard of the band called Malaya Rage? Malaya Rage? No, I've not heard of Malaya Rage, no. I, then I, guess, I, I, guess, I guess it's in a unanimous Wrathchild America. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, he says on the later side, Saints and Sinners, Roxy Blue, or Trickster. Uh, Roxy Blue because they're such great guys and a great band. I agree with Roxy Blue. I definitely go with Roxy Blue too. Awesome dudes and man, I love all their stuff from the very early stuff to this, just the album they came out with a couple years ago. All good. Still rocking, yeah. All right, that's off to a good start. Byron Chambers. First, I want to thank Mike G in episode 407, Quarantine Volume 10, for showing love to the band Social Distortion and the album Live at the Roxy. Amazing album. It's what got me into them. Now, my question is, why haven't you guys heard of that, and why are you not listening to it right now? (laughs) David, are you a fan of the band Social Distortion? Are you familiar with them? No, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I know everybody talks about this band all the time, like they're super awesome, great, but I just, I don't know, I guess whatever I've heard didn't jive with me, so I must have never been grabbed by it enough to really get into it, but I've got good friends that swear by this band as being one of the greatest of all time, so, you know, just add it to the list of bands I guess I need to really owe it to check out. I I like them, I mean, I've listened to several of their studio records, I've never heard this live at the Roxy record, but... um, yeah, I mean they they had a big hit called "I Was Wrong" that was a big hit. They have a, oh, yeah. a great great song called "Ball and Chain." Oh yeah, um, they're, they're it's kind of like a pretty good, I guess. Almost like hard rock hmm. meets punk. Um, Mike Ness is a singer, and they're a good band. But uh, yeah, I have to still have to check out the live record. All right, Don Hoxie wants to know favorite female rock guitar player. He lists Orianti, Nita Strauss, Jennifer Botten. Batten, Lita Ford, Joan Jett, others. Uh, they're all good. Yeah. Um, I'd probably go to. I'd probably go with Lita Ford, I guess, if I'm picking all of them, because I just, 
I love that, you know, her, she has a career that was in the hair metal scene, but also, yeah. you know, in the punk rock slash new wave scene with the runaways. But I, they're all very talented, talented players. Yeah. Later forward. She looks really good. <laughs> <laughs> That's my vote. <laughs> and also, and she plays, and and she also plays a heck of a guitar player. Yeah, okay. She does have a guitar, yeah. <laughs> I like all those. I added a couple to the list. Uh, Jan Kuhnemann from Vixen. Yeah. Man, she could wail on guitar. You got to give it up for Courtney Cox, who plays with the Iron Maidens. If she's playing all them Iron Maiden tunes, that means she's automatically a damn good guitar player. Personal favorite of mine was always Blair and Bitch from Betty Blowtorch. That's an yeah. awesome band. They only came out with one album, I think, and an EP, and that was it. But she's got some chops. But my two personal number one favorites is Allison Robertson from the Donnas, because she's just like you take Ace Frehley and Angus Young and mash them together, and that's what you get, so you can't go wrong with that. And, of course, number one, if it ain't Lita Ford, i got to give it to Nancy Wilson from Heart. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about her. forgot about her. I knew you guys were going to say that as soon as I said Nancy Wilson. Oh, yeah, Nancy (laughs) Wilson. Shit, yeah. You got to – yeah, number one. So no no love for Courtney Love? (laughs) I heard her pie is delicious. I was just going to make that joke. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you don't get that joke, you got to go back and listen to last week's episode. Right. (laughs) All right. Let's see. That wraps it up for Instagram, and we got one on Twitter. We're real big on Twitter, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And this one comes to us from John McGaffick. Do you agree that an album's length is important? After 10 or 11 songs, an album seems to lose its focus. If you agree, what are a couple of albums you would cut off a song or two to make perfect? What do you think, David? Does the length of an album, I mean, nowadays on a CD or or a digital download or whatever, your album could conceivably have 50 songs on it if you wanted it to? Oh, sure. Uh, You know, we toyed with that and and fought with that when we were, because, you know, our album has 12 songs on it. So, you know, we, we toyed over that because, you know, do you give them too much and they, they get bored before they listen to it all? You know, are you giving them too much to digest, too much to uh, understand at one time? So we looked at doing four songs at a time. And then, but, you know, finally just said, we'll throw them all out there and just hopefully they'll listen through and what they like, they'll, they'll go back to, you know, <clears throat> when you're not, you know, as they'll, you know, if you've not made it, like, you know, the parenthesis here, uh, you know, you're struggling to try to get songs or a song out there. So, you know, hey, we throw everything we got at you because we can write more. I mean, we have no trouble writing. So that's what we did. We said, you know, hopefully they will we will maintain their attention. And, you know, if they don't like one, maybe they'll like the other one. And that might be the one we wouldn't have put on the album. So. That's exactly why we put our 12 on there. Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, if you got the ability to put them on there, I think maybe I think 10, 11, 12 is probably, you stay right in there, I think you're pretty good. You know, you start getting too much more than that. I don't know. And in the, in the time now where, like, the EP is king, 
like you said, people mm-hmm. releasing four or five songs at a time. Yeah. And I, I, well, and for me, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that it really matters these days because everybody just picks and chooses. But if, if I'm going back in time and, and then this is a kind of a double argument because like he's talking, he's asking what are a couple albums you would cut a song or two off to make it a perfect record. Obviously I would make guns and roses. Use your illusion one album and yes. cut several songs. Um, but that and that that's me as a surface Guns N' Roses fan. But however, I'm a massive Kiss fan, and Hot in the Shade has 15 songs on it. And yeah, you could cut five songs and make it a better album. But at the same time, as a Kiss fan, we all know that if that happened, everybody'd be begging to hear those other five songs. Right, so, true. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of a double-edged sword, really. Right. As a music fan, you know, if you really love it, you got to just say, "Hey, give me all you got. I'll take it all." Well, that's what we hope. We're we're hoping that you know, hey, if you're gonna listen to us, we'll throw it all at you, and and maybe one will stick, you know. And uh, the the more you throw, the odds are better. Hopefully, that one will. So, hopefully, they all do. But you know, usually one song is what does it for many bands. Right. All right. Well, here's a very metal question. Matt Weller's Dick wants to know what's your favorite Dr. Seuss book. Oh, uh, <laughs> rock uh, on! <laughs> I guess at this point, there's so, so many good ones. I guess at this point, I'd say Horton hears a who. <laughs> I guess I'm I'm gonna go with the classic cat in the hat. That dude was a trip. That's good too. Uh, green eggs and ham, cat in the hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is yeah. this is this something that normally comes up in interviews and things? Yeah, but usually it's with my granddaughter that's about <laughs> seven years old. <laughs> yeah. I get lots of questions about things like that. <laughs> right on. Um, let's see. He oh, also no. wants to know favorite Friday the thirteenth movie and least favorite Friday the thirteenth movie. You a fan of those, David? Yeah. I am. My favorite would be the first one. <laughs> you know, uh, I have to say the first one. Uh, the others, I don't know. Just they're all about the same after that. But the first one was the best to me. Cool for me. Uh, I was really into the Friday the Thirteenth series when I was a kid. Um, I'll say, well, I wasn't really a big fan of the first one because you really don't see Jason through most of the whole right, movie. Yeah, but. Um, my favorite, I w- and this for personal reasons, was I think it was part eight. It was called Jason Takes Manhattan. Yes. And it wasn't necessarily the greatest movie, but me and my buddy Jacob at the time were obsessed with those movies. And we, we watched it on opening night at the movie theater. So wow. I still have a, a postcard that they handed out of Jason standing in Manhattan on the, and on the back it says, wish you were here. So that was still my favorite one. And then my least favorite has to be, I think it was called Jason X, but it was like Jason in space. It was so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of yeah. like that one. <laughs> Do you? 
<laughs> yeah, but I got to agree with you. My favorite one was Jason Takes Manhattan, too, because that fell right into my time zone of being a teenager and first getting to go see movies and stuff. And the thing I always remember about that movie is the boxer. And he's going to straight up fight Jason, like fist fight him. So he's nailing him and nailing him with all these awesome boxer punches and just beating the hell out of Jason. And then Jason just takes one straight shot at him and punches his head completely off. And it yeah. flies back and lands in a garbage can. Yep. That's, that's why, that's, great, that's that's why that's great, the best yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Although, yeah, if you're looking at Jason, but, you know, I think of the first one, I think of Jamie Lee Curtis. So, I mean, she was. Uh, no, no, that was Halloween. Oh, I'm in the wrong movie, guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting seen out here. <laughs> a, okay. young, a young Jamie Lee Curtis on your mind will do that to you. Yeah, she was hot. She still is. Oh, and there was um, I don't remember which Friday the Thirteenth movie it was, but one of my favorites. And this sounds so demented, but like one of my favorite kill scenes was there was a girl, a teenage girl, like in a backpack, and Jason zips up the backpack, picks her up, and starts swinging her like a baseball bat into a tree. It was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jason versus Freddy Krueger. That was a that was a terrible movie. I do. Yeah. Remember. Everybody was excited for that. Yeah. I was excited for that. I mean, that had been kind of in the making for years. The two greatest horror movie villains, and they put them all into one movie, and it should have been awesome. Yeah. It was just kind of okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Here's an interesting one. This is a scenario. I'm, I'm, David, I'm sure you've probably heard of this when somebody asks you, would you rather kill, marry, or fuck? And then they give you the list of three people. This has come up a couple of times now. But this one is kill, marry, or fuck. Sandra Bullock, Rob Helford, or Ian Wadley. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Ian Wadley. No, who, fill me in on that one. All right, Chris, you want to explain to him who Ian Wadley is? <laughs> Ian Wadley is one of the more popular rock podcasters. He's been at the expo every year. Big, I'd, I'd say most popular slash most hated. <laughs> yeah, he rubs people the wrong way, you know, a few times. But he um, rubs people all right. Yeah, but uh, we love him like a brother. But uh, yeah, Matt, who submitted this question, is a big follower of Ian, so I know that's why he put this question up here. Um, so let me trust go me, first. In in this scenario, you you probably want to kill Ian Wadley. I don't know. I think I'd rather be married to Ian Wadley, and I'd kill Rob Halford, and then of course I'd fuck Sandra Bullock. Wow. <laughs> we need a psychiatrist to sit in on us with this show, so they can explain how our minds work. Because unfortunately, I'd have to kill Ian Wadley, and I'd definitely fuck Sandra Bullock, and I would totally marry Rob Halford. Okay. I'd have to go with that. I'd agree with that one. Yep, yep. Well, it's just me and Ian have so much more in common than me and Rob Halford. So you don't know that. Give it a chance. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I like Rob a lot, but I don't know if I'm going to tie the knot. <laughs> uh oh, That's true. Yeah, Ian and I. Ian and I will have a sexless marriage. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I don't think Ian's going to sign up for that. Oh, for a sexless marriage? I'm sure he would sign up for that part. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is the better Patrick Swayze character? Bodie from Point Break or Dalton from Roadhouse? <laughs> Does any of this make sense to anybody? 
Oh, yeah. I've I love the movie Roadhouse. Uh, I mean, he was a badass in that movie, so I guess I'll go with that. Oh, but he was a bad guy in Point Break, and, and he helped distract from the awfulness that is Keanu Reeves. So I'm going to say Bodie. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I like Dawson Roadhouse. He was badass. Yeah. Yeah. Kick the hell out of people. Mm, no problem. Yeah. And I will say my wife approved of this question. <laughs> I'm sure. Ryan Frazier wants to know, what would you say is the best movie soundtrack of all time? Damn, that's hard. Uh, Just to pick one? Oh, man, that is tough. Best movie soundtrack. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. (laughs) I'm going to say Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Okay, they're both good. David, Mm. what do you think? Gosh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, there's a ton of great ones. I mean, we could sit here and debate that all day. I mean, you got heavy metal is a classic. Most of that's pretty dang great. Uh, uh, what was it? Queen did Flash Gordon, the movie? Yep. Oh, yeah. Mm. All right. Joe Jenkins wants to know, or he's got this to say, I listened to one of your older podcasts today, Radio Sucks, Classic Rock Version, Spotify's favorite episode. Joe liked it, too. (laughs) He says, pure greatness. What are more of your favorite deep tracks? I guess let's let's evolve this into bands. David, what do you think are some of the classic rock bands from maybe the 60s, 70s, even the 80s that should have gotten more radio play that you think would have been great if they'd have got a push? You know, there's one band I think off my you may not have heard of them, but there was a band called uh, Baton Rouge. Uh, yeah, I remember them. They had a song, one song, Walks Like a Lady or Walks Like a Woman. They were really, I'd seen them years ago, and uh, they were a good band, great guys. And uh, it's a shame. I, th- I think they come right at the fall of when the grunge kind of nailed everything in the head. So, um they were a really good band. Another good band, I think, was Badlands. But I think, you know, that their demise came out, you know, I think when uh, the singer passed kind of quick. But they were a really good band. Real good. Jakey Lee, Eric Singer. Hell yeah. Yeah, they were a super. I really liked that band. Uh, Nazareth was a good band, I think. That, Shit, yeah. Uh, that should have been, I think, played more. I mean, they peaked with the album Hair of the Dog in, like, 75, but, I mean, they put out albums for a long time after that, but never really reached what they did with that album. No, and I I think the music was good. Uh, It just, I don't know what happened. What do you think is better, to get it and lose it, or to always be fighting for it? Well, hell, I want to get it, man. Yeah, well, there you go. You keep fighting for it. <laughs> anyway, I can get it now. You know, I'd rather get it and then keep fighting to get it back than never get it at all. So that would be my point. That'd be my stance on that. Right on. Yeah, I want to. I want to ask a question because this is something I've wanted to ask you for quite a while. So this is from Aaron Camaro in Nashville, Tennessee. Tell me about the band Lust. <laughs> wow. So you guys, this is a good-looking band, mm-hmm. a good hard rock and sound. Yeah. 
could have been one of those bands that you've seen on MTV. Yes. Tell me the story about Lust. I got to know. Okay. Lust. Lust was around in the in the 80s. Uh, they were a group, and I actually joined the, the band later. Um, okay. I'd been out touring with a, a, another band, with a drummer, and he kind of fell into Lust for a short time till John, the original drummer, come back. And uh, while he was there, they were looking for a singer, and he kind of brought, you know, he knew me. We'd been touring together, and uh, he'd throw my name around. So we ended up together, and um, we, uh, uh, a really good band. They had good sound. Uh, you know, we put out an EP. It's still floating around, I think. You can uh, find it on YouTube in some spots, some of the, some of the, we put out a record that actually went overseas and did quite well. We got a, a record deal with Belafonte Records and uh, had a manager, Alan Nashville, and it was looking really good. Uh, we were on the KD, if you remember KDF. Uh, yeah. We're oh, yeah. Legendary. They had a home, homegrown album, and you know one of our songs made it, Nights Are Lonely made it to that. Um, and we were doing well. It was cool. We were getting fan mail from Czechoslovakia and all over the world. And, um, you know, what's happened was we got the deal and they were wanting to put us in the studio again to do another album, take us overseas because music is so much, this music seems to be more accepted everywhere except the United States as far as uh, the commercial end of it, you know, the people that promote it, the big people. So, we were looking at going over there, and uh, the band just got impatient waiting and just sad to say we kind of fell apart. They, I think they picked up with another singer, but I don't know. I don't think they ever – I think they got some other kind of deal, but we kind of parted ways, and, you know, uh, that was it. It was sad because we were we – were, that was probably as close as – at that time that I'd been to, uh, you know, to hitting the big time, but it fell apart. All right. Let's get back to the questions. Jeff Reed comes to us on Facebook. David, have you seen the uh, Geico commercial with rat on it? I sure have. And he says with the resurgence of rat because of the Geico commercial, do you think there's any chance Bobby Blotzer and Warren D. Martini would want to come back to the lineup? I think, first of all, I want to know, how cool was it when you first saw that commercial? I mean, to see Rat on a Geico commercial in 2020, I was like, hell yeah, that's awesome. Oh, it is, and I think it just goes back to the, you know, it's it's great. But, you know, that's just one. You look at, uh, hell, look at, the, uh, look at the music they're using for most of these commercials, you know, even if it's not the band. You got White Snake, you got the Scorpions, you got, you know, it's 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 great, it's great. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see these guys. You know, I know we're all older now, and that they're still rocking. You know, never give up. Yeah, keep going. 
And it makes me yeah. proud to know that, you know, being a fan of this kind of music, that somebody in some corporate meeting somewhere had enough faith that people knew who the hell Rat was <laughs> enough to be able to make that commercial. Rock and roll is still alive in 2020, damn it. Yes, it is. Yeah, I thought it was great. I uh, And I was taken aback when I saw it for the first time. I was like, wow, that's Rat on a commercial. It's crazy. And... um I actually read recently that it it did re-enter the Billboard charts over the past week for the first oh, time since awesome. 1984 that it's been on the charts. Uh, wow! I, as far as your question about Bobby and Warren, um, there's no chance in hell that Bobby Blosser is going to be invited back into that band after every, all the lawsuits and stuff. I don't see that happening. Um, Warren Martini, he might consider it, but... I mean, he's sitting on a fortune because he's married to the Mars Candy heiress. So, so he he never has to work another day in his life. So unless it's a massive paycheck, he probably doesn't give a shit. Well, and like I said, if you've already got everything you need, then it's not even about the paycheck. So if it's going to be something, it's going to be him coming back every once in a while to do something fun. Yeah, I mean, if they were going to play a stadium or something, he would probably be there for it. But he, he doesn't want to slug it out in clubs anymore. I've heard no that. All right. Would you rather run a marathon or have Mike Tyson punch you in the face? <laughs> I'll take the marathon. Yeah, point me in the direction. I'll run. <laughs> put put yeah. Mike Tyson behind me and I'll run real fast. <laughs> yeah. I just think uh, I can't go no more. Just send Mike my way and I'll keep going. <laughs> no yeah, I I'd pick a marathon because I'd have a much better chance of recovering from that than Mike Tyson punched me in the face. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. No doubt. That's a harsh question. Aaron Baker wants to know, I don't know, Chris probably best to answer this. Who plays the piano on the song Nothing to Lose? It's a kiss question. That's a man named Bruce Foster, and that's the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> David, how much does the band Kiss mean to you? What do they mean to you growing up? Oh, man. A uh, Kiss fan from day one. Love Kiss. Um, you know, I was I was actually you know a kid. You know, I'm not that old. I was a, a young kid when Kiss came out, and uh, Rock and Roll All Night. I heard that, and gosh, that's got into Kiss, and you know they were a big influence on me. I think Paul Stanley is one of the most underrated front men that there are. Uh, I mean the guy's incredible he sang of course i know he's had trouble with his voice uh, later years but gosh the what the showmanship play yeah. guitar and and the singing incredible incredible front man uh just uh what a vision these guys had a heck of a vision and uh hats off to them big fan yeah you can't argue with that paul stanley in his prime total package you get it all oh, yeah yeah yeah, one of the baddest. Yep. All right. Uh, let's see. What's your favorite holiday? <laughs> we got Matt Weller's dick coming with the bizarre questions this uh, week. Uh, I'd say Halloween. I've always loved Halloween. Hmm. I have to say Christmas, man. I'm a Christmas guy. Love Christmas. Yeah, I'm going to go with David. I think when I was younger, probably Halloween, but now definitely Christmas. Yeah, it's hard to be. Who are you a bigger fan of, Hulk Hogan, The Ultimate Warrior, or Macho Man Randy Savage? David, you a wrestling fan? 
Oh yeah, the Ultimate Warrior. Y'all remember? <laughs> My kids were all, gosh, uh, Ultimate Warrior, Stretch, Ultimate Warrior, and Stretch Hog, and gosh. Those things were about a thousand of those, I think, for my kids. Uh, uh, yeah, I love wrestling. Hey, they're performers like we are. You bet. <laughs> Great. Love it. You ever get to do anything like cross-promotion-wise and meet any wrestlers or anything through your career? <laughs> well, actually, no famous wrestlers, but actually there's a guy that – does some promotion for us and whatnot. He's a EMC's wrestling in the in the. He's got a little tour that goes around, and uh, we've kind of talked about doing a uh, a uh, wrestling rock and roll show. So it may be in the making. We'll see. Right on. That's awesome. Yeah, keep us updated on that. We'll do. Sure will. Best of both worlds. I just want to thank Matt for giving us our quota of Hulk Hogan questions every single week. Which, by the way, is the correct answer. It's Hulk Hogan. No, no. Because Hulk Hogan was good, but he was too white bread. Because, and then it was, hard, it was a toss-up between Ultimate Warrior and Randy Macho Man Savage. But yeah. I'll, give, I'll give Savage the edge because both of them were cocaine personified but that <laughs> actually had charisma so i'll give it that oh <laughs> all right i guess I'll move on thanks for the hulk hogan question he's the best uh white snake white lion great white white tiger white zombie motionless in white or the plain white tees i guess uh favorite band with white in the title I guess uh, Matt's a white supremacist. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, uh, no. Oh, no. He's uh, in the pot for sure. Uh, no, I'm no. going to stick with my answer from last week. I'll say white snake. Without a doubt. David Coverdale, one of my favorite singers. So, frontman David, no doubt. Yep, white snake. Mm, man, I really love white snake, especially the old. pre, Especially the pre 80s stuff. I really, really like a lot. Um, but man, I really like Great White too, a lot. Yeah, Great, Great White's got a lot of albums out over the years. You get a couple extra different versions of Great White. I guess you get that with White Snake too. Oh man, that's a tough one. I also love White Zombie, but I guess you kind of got to go with White Snake. Yeah, I would. I think okay. so. All right, what eighties, nineties metal rock should have been bigger? Flip the script. Who was a big band that should not have been? That's a question from Keith Rockford. I know we kind of already talked about like Baton Rouge and Badlands, bands yeah. from the 80s and 90s that should have been bigger. I always go with a band from Texas called Pariah. Oh, sometimes yeah. sometimes these questions seem like they come up again and again, but in different ways. Um, I, you know, Chris wants to laugh at me, but I'll say tough. If they'd have been a couple years earlier... Being out on the Sunset Strip, I think Tough would have been just as big as Poison or any of the rest of them. I'm not going to laugh at you. Thanks. That's the first. <laughs> oh, am I that bad? Uh, for me, uh, Tora Tora. For oh, sure. yeah, for I sure. Tora Tora. Deserved, deserved a much bigger shake. And I guess another an underrated band from that era, um, Wild Side, that we've talked to yeah, Rock and Ron running about. Definitely. As far as a, big, a great band. big band that should not have been big. Huh. That's, kind that's of hard a hard to say. one. 
I can't really take anything away from bands that actually made it. I mean, I, at least all from that era, everybody that made it, I think they deserve to make it. Yeah, whether you personally like the artist or not. I mean, if they made it big, it must have been for some reason or another, even if you don't understand it yourself, I guess. Uh, Nirvana. <laughs> Just kidding. No, I guess there is exceptions to the rule. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot, but it, no, no, I, I, w- I wouldn't, I wouldn't say anyone because hell, somewhere down the road I might get the chance to play with them, so I don't want to sure. piss them off. No, so. I get that. You're probably not oh, going to well, get the chance to play with Nirvana, but well, let know. me change my answer. Uh, Nickelback, fuck those guys. <laughs> what do you mean? This you're going to talk like this on the eve of the debut of me and the Mooger Fooger's new tribute band, Back Nipples. <laughs> I'm not going to talk to either of you ever again. (laughs) (laughs) But if you think about that for a second, what David said about Nirvana, in a lot of ways, he's kind of right, because if you listen to the music and look at the time that it came out in, you know, before Nirvana, you're talking about like Motley Crue, Poison, and stuff like that. That band shouldn't have made it big, but for however... However, they did. Really? Well, it was it was the industry push. Right. They were the band well, that that's they, the reason. Yeah, the industry decided to back that band, but in you know the big four of grunge, which is Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, and Soundgarden. I think Nirvana's dead last in that group. I, I would have made Alice in Chains the big band to me. Yeah, I agree. Well, they all ended up the same way. Yeah, that's true. That is true. All right, so let's see. What do we got next? Andrew Jacobs wants to know, question for all. I've asked this question before, but I figured I'd ask it again in case the answer was no last time. Have you gone out to any restaurants or bars yet? And if so, where did you go? The whole quarantine thing has been going on for a while, but I think people are starting to get back out and do stuff. Are you guys getting out and doing anything? Uh, here and there. I mean, I, as far as, I mean, I've done a lot of curbside pickup at restaurants, but we actually went, sat down at a restaurant for the first time last week. And it was at, but we drove way out to a place called Linville, Tennessee, which is way out in the middle of nowhere. We just wanted to get out of the house for a while. And it was like an old, you know, like turn of the century style diner burger place. And it was us and one other person in the whole place. So we easily were able to socially distant, but be socially distant. But, uh, other than that, not really. Um, and bars, you can't really go to just bars right now. They haven't lifted the restrictions on them. I don't know if I'm ready for any of that stuff. I mean, sitting down in a restaurant, can't wear a mask while I'm eating something. So today, my wife and I kind of really got out for sort of the first time and went out and hit some yard sales just for the hell of it. You know, they're all outside. No big deal. You know, plenty of opportunity to stay a little distance from people. And then when it got to be 90 degrees, we went to a couple of Goodwills, but we wore our little face masks. And I went in, I found a couple of CDs today that I'm going to check out that I got for a buck. Could be a future Camaro's cutout bin. You never know. But, yeah, I mean, it felt kind of good to get out and do stuff today, but still kind of, you know, cautioning my ways. David, you getting out and doing stuff yet? Uh, yeah, you know, actually, I, I live about 70 miles east of uh, Nashville, and, uh, you know, we're kind of separated from the, uh, I think, the rules that y'all are. And uh, 
Yeah, I've been out. There's some of the local restaurants are opening. Of course, they're doing the distancing. You know, you have to sit. You know, they're closing off tables. So you're staying far apart, and all the waitresses and waiters have a mask on. So uh, things are starting to move again in our area uh, somewhat better, which is good. I mean, actually, with this, we rehearsed this week, which was the first time the band had been together in uh, three months. So it was things are starting to loosen up. Thank goodness. Yeah, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to get back out into the world. James uh, West wants to know what's your favorite and least favorite of the hair metal bands. Who sh- these are all kind of the same. Who should have been bigger and who shouldn't not have? Let me put a twist on this, David. How do you feel about the term hair metal? Is that something that kind of bugs you, or is that something you just accept for, you know, that just is another way to say glam rock? Uh, I've heard it so much. It really doesn't bother me, Um, I guess. uh, It is what it is. Uh, There was a lot of hair then, and, uh, you know, bands had that look. It was glam rock, and, and I... Particularly, I, that was what I liked the most, and uh, and it takes nothing away from the bands. It's it's just a, uh, I guess the way they want to present themselves. I think the music is uh, still there and it's really good. So uh, I have no problem with that. I kind of over the years, I guess, have just kind of accepted it for what it is. But there was a time it kind of made me mad because it seems to to take something like that and call it hair metal seems to imply that, you know, it wasn't music. It was fashion. And it wasn't fashion. It was fashion and it was music. And furthermore than that, that era of music featured some of the best musicianship of any bands you'd heard before and would definitely hear after. So I always thought calling it hair metal kind of marginalized it and kind of seemed lame, you know. Grunge, that's a cool word, you know. Sounds tough. (laughs) Sounds mean. Hair metal doesn't sound cool at all. I'm in a I'm in the same boat as you. I it used to really bug me because it it feels like it's objectifying what what it was. Like oh, it's just it's not real music. But it's like you know, and like all oh, you pretentious assholes that love your new wave and your old punk rock. So yeah, I'm a Ramones fan, but a bunch of old punk rock and new wave stuff. It's like those people could play three chords. You know, give me Warren Demartini or Eddie Van Halen playing. You know, up and down the fretboard. Most of the hair metal bands were great players, so it, it it used to bug me, but not really anymore. Although I'm getting kind of fired up talking about it, <laughs> um, I'm getting pissed it, off. <laughs> I, I know it's like it's like reignited the fire, but uh, I'm not gonna say who should not have been bigger. But um, yeah, there was several bands from that era that probably should have been bigger. You know, I mean, there's one, and I have to give a credit to them: a Shark Island, Richard Black, who was ripped off by Axl Rose for most of his stage act. And they were a really good band. They kind of ruled the L.A. Strip during that time. And they never got a fair shake. And then another one that, you know, most people probably know, but never really got the success I thought they deserved was Kicks. You know, an amazing yeah. band. I'll throw the Sea Hags in there as well. Oh, yeah. They only had band. one album. It was damn near perfect rock album. And they never had the opportunity to put out a second one. How lame. So many bands oh. like that. No, salty dog. Yeah, you know any of that stuff, David? Oh yeah, I know the bands. Yeah, I agree with you totally. Uh, especially with Kicks, I think Kicks was an exceptional group, and uh, 
great bunch of guys. Well, I think uh, you know, one of the guitarists was at the uh, Rock Expo. Super nice guys, talented people. It just just didn't go their way. Uh, it's sad. One more thing on the hair metal band's name. Now, you guys, 8-Ball, are a bunch of cool-looking, long-haired, rock-and-roll dudes. Would you well, be offended? Thanks. Would you be offended if somebody came up and said, "This is my favorite hair metal band"? No. <laughs> hey, just been their favorite band. Hey, I'll go. Amen to that. <laughs> Take it any way we can get it. I, I don't mind. We'll it's, be uh, we'll be your favorite thrash metal band. We'll be your favorite polka band. Just call us your favorite, and we're all good. Yeah, we're your favorite. Come see our shows and buy our shirts, and we'll we'll be whatever you want to be. All right. Awesome. James West wants to know, will you feel comfortable going to concerts when tours start again, and who do you want to see the most? I guess kind of since we got you on the show and you are in an active band, I'd like mm-hmm. to know, how do you feel about it? I know you got to be just dying to get back out there and do some shows. Oh, gosh, yeah. We've got the new album, and, I'll, and we're wanting to promote it. And actually, this is tentatively, but supposedly August 1st, we are supposed to be now. Like I say, I ain't say this is in stone playing a club called Nash Vegas. Have you heard of that? Yeah, yeah. Here in Nashville. Uh, yes, August first. Nice. Uh, and then uh, we've got another venue around Nashville that I've talked with, and they're kind of. I think the whole Nashville scene is still up in the air as to when they're really gonna truly open up right. and let this loose. I, I think that can change daily, but but we're making some dates, so we'll see if they happen or not. But I will. I do know they're promoting the August 1st date. So well, guess, we're ready to go. It's been a long time. You know, a musician that can't play is a, is a, is a sad person because you gotta got to play live. That's what it's all about. Right. That goes for the fans and the music, too. So I'm going to go ahead and steal David's answer. Now I'm looking forward to August 1st and going and seeing 8-Ball here in Nashville. Great, guys. Hope to see you there. I'll take yeah, anything. As long as down. it rocks, I'm ready to go do it. Yeah. Give I miss me. concerts a lot right now. It's been This is the longest streak I've ever gone without going to a show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah now that you mention it, you're probably right. Just yeah. buy us a couple of those things Baco's selling. <laughs> yeah right We're good to go what bands that retired do you miss and which bands do you think should have already called it quits is anybody really truly retired uh several Ru- times yeah. <laughs> uh, rush definitely is retired and yeah, that's who i miss that's the most. true i miss them i miss yeah. the idea of rush being around even uh, without Neil, it's just won't be the same nope. uh, how do you replace that guy Oh, you don't. I mean, yeah, yeah, oh man, who else is gone? I mean, besides, I mean, when when somebody dies, I wouldn't really call that retired. So, I mean, as long as somebody's alive, I don't think an artist is ever truly one hundred percent retired. I mean, is there bands that have broken up that I'd like to see get back together? You bet. Let me tell you all about Reunion Fest. Oh yeah, we did that last week. But uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, just so many that I'd love to see come back and. You know, if they could all just stay, if we could just keep them one age forever, you know, no, we'd never have to worry about losing Ozzy. We'd get Dio back, get Lemmy, you know, the legends that we've lost and the ones that, you know, we're not getting to enjoy anymore. I don't know. It's just, yeah, that's an endless answer. Put us in a black hole, I James think, Webb. Um, 
the Dio hologram needs to call it quits. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, I've seen it's the anniversary of Load and Saint Anger recently. What are your thoughts on 90s Metallica? Thanks for these episodes and answering my questions. David, were you a fan of Metallica? Uh, <laughs> you know, people may, may not like this answer, but not the greatest. I mean, I liked a few of their songs, but but hats off to these guys. Man, they have been playing. They are known as the top metal band and sellout shows. Hats off. Great for them. Uh, you know, I'm very happy for them, but as far as the music, uh, some of it's good. You know, not a not a big fan. Yeah, it's one of those things. You know, Metallica can be pretty heavy, and they've had their different eras and stuff. I really like the early stuff. Not a big fan of the '90s stuff, and nowadays I'm a fan of them again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I the the load album has a couple of good tracks the saint anger album is unredeemable in my opinion i think it's garbage one good but, song um, and it's on a ramones tribute that's true <laughs> um i mean if you watch the some kind of monster movie you could see why you know they couldn't put a good record out because they were a mess but i don't know i saw them live a couple of times during those years and, and they were great live they were always fun live although they really pissed me off with um, one tour they were Alice in Chains was supposed to be the opener. It was it was supposed to be Metallica, Alice in Chains, and Suicidal Tendencies, and it wound up being uh, Alice in Chains. Lane Staley had an overdose on heroin, oh, went to rehab, and they replaced them with Candlebox, who was god awful. But during the show, Metallica like starts making fun of Lane Staley on stage, and and at this point in time, I love Metallica. Metallica, but I was a big Allison Chains fan, so I was really offended by that. But uh, as far to get back to James's question, not a big fan of really of either of those records. And Reload is even is really is worse than Load. But uh, yeah, not a lot of great stuff there, in my opinion. Turn the page was to me the best, you know, and it was no Bob Seger song. That was really yeah. a good song. I did like that. Yeah. See, I was yeah. a fan of that, the Garage Incorporated album where they did all the cool cover songs. I really love that. Yes. But, you know, the Load and Reload albums, I know Mooger Fuger ranked them pretty high last week. I thought more about that. I give them each vote. Yeah, I give the first one 50%. I'll give Reload 40%. Not great. That's all right. Let's talk about Iron Maiden. David, you love the Iron Maiden? Oh, yes. Yes, for sure. Which do you prefer, the early Deano stuff or the later stuff with Bruce Dickinson? Oh, Bruce. To me, Bruce is the voice of that band. I mean, uh, that's what got me listening to Iron Maiden was Bruce. Uh, and then then I went back and listened to the earlier stuff, and uh, they made the rock call with uh, bringing Bruce in. And, man, he's just incredible singer, great front man. Good music. I like them. We used to do a lot of their covers. I love it when you go to a bar and the band that's playing is doing Maiden covers. You can't never beat that. <laughs> yeah. I am in the right place. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Now, before Chris comes in and stomps all over that and disagrees with you in every single way, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I agree with you 100%. 
same okay. thing. It was it was listening to Power Slave and you know the albums from the Dickinson era, especially Power Slave. That was the one that got me. Was what introduced me to Iron Maiden, and that to me was the real Iron Maiden. And then to find out later, pick up the first album and Killers. I don't remember which one it was. I think it was Killers. I picked that up and listened to it and expected to hear the Iron Maiden that I knew. And then immediately I know this ain't the same. What is going on here? Flip it over and look and be like, oh, wow, you know, this is a totally different singer. And that's how I even discovered that. But, man, those first two albums are awesome in their own special way, but not really in a totally Iron Maiden way. Because when I think of Iron Maiden, I think of songs like Power Slave, you know, Stranger in a Strange Land. I mean, so many aces high. I could go on. I could probably sit and do this for a half an hour and just name song after song after song. But yeah, you got to go with the Dickinson era for sure. Chris? Yeah. I love how you I love how you already have your mind made up on what I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> I know you. And, uh, and in this case, you're right. Um, <laughs> but no, I let me, say, let me preface this with they made the right call with Bruce Dickinson because they obviously oh, yeah. took him to a completely different level. They became way more commercially relevant, and they did amazing music with him. I don't hate the Dickinson era, but if I'm going to go on what I prefer – Give me Iron Maiden self-titled and give me Killers before the other stuff. It's just because it's more like – it's like the bridge between punk and the new wave of British heavy metal. Yeah, and that's what totally. I, I love about those first two records. It's just so raw and also the songs weren't eight minutes long and there was nobody doing an 18-minute <laughs> song about a blimp crashing. So um, – Give me that era, and then he also asked if we dig the Blaze Bailey era. Are we all in agreement that the Blaze Bailey era was not good? Yep. Yeah, not a fan of it. Not a fan. All right, let's see what's next. What would you pick as your top Rush albums from Al Horta? Uh, For me, I can tell you my number one favorite Rush album is the first one. I know that's Sacrilege because it doesn't have Neil Peart. But I love those simple kick-ass rock songs. It reminds me of the bands I like, like Kiss and Sabbath and Cheap Trick and bands of that era, Aerosmith even a little bit, where it was just a simple, sweet rock band that had kick-ass guitar, good, solid drums, a weird-ass singer who could really play a bass guitar, and some really badass songs. That's always going to be my favorite. The rest of them... The further down the line, I think, there's there's a, a crescendo with Rush with me. Starts out really high and kind of just, you know, levels there for a little while and then drops way off and they get really weird. And then towards the end, it comes way back up again because the last couple Rush albums were so freaking awesome. So the more rocking, the less weird and experimental and avant-garde the Rush is, the better it is with me. David, what about you? You know, Rush, you know, incredible musicians. Uh, not a great big fan. 2112, you know, other than that, I, you know, I've listened to, but I'm, I'm you know, just uh, not a lot to say. Uh, good band, but not a big fan of Rush. It took uh, me a long time music, to get into them. Incredible uh, musicians, but just didn't dig uh, the sound that much. Just my opinion. I've grown to appreciate them more over the years, so I, I really did not like them when I was growing up. No, but me neither. As I'm older, I definitely learned to appreciate them more. So for me, and this was hard for me because I do, 
it's hard to rank them for me. My number one was easy. Clockwork Angels is the last record they ever did. is still my favorite Rush record. Um, second would definitely be the self-titled debut album. Third, and this was hard, I, I picked Counterparts from 1993. Fourth, I'm going to go with Moving Pictures from 81. And fifth, and I know I didn't pick 2112 in my top five, fifth would be Permanent Waves from 1980, mostly because of the song Subdivisions. Yeah, Rush. You either love them a lot or you maybe don't know nothing about them, but it's definitely a band if you don't know. If you could take the time, based on what we've learned about you today and the kind of music you love, I think if you went back and checked out that very first Rush album, I think you'd really love it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, I've not really listened to uh, Rush that much. I guess because of the la- latter albums didn't do anything much for me, so... Uh, but I'll do that. I'll check it out. Yeah. Let me um, that weird eighties shit. Let me make a uh, correction. I was wrong. Hemispheres is not with, or uh, permanent waves is not subdivision. Signals has subdivision, so I have to make that one my five. Okay, I like your first three. You go to the the very last album that came out, the newest of the new rush studio albums then for number two you go all the way back to the very first rush album which you know night and day between those and then you go back into the 90s and pick one from 93 that's far out that kind of shows you the power the true power of rush you know and they've been around so long there's got to be something out there for everybody a little bit at least rob webb wants to know what's your favorite albums Oh, this is a multifaceted thing. Basically, he wants to thank us for bringing some welcome and sanity to the lockdown. And he wants us to talk about the different eras of Black Sabbath with the different singers, Ozzy to Dio, and then in between, and the Tony Martin eras. David, I know you got to love Ozzy and Dio and Black Sabbath and all that. What's your favorite kind of era of Black Sabbath? You know, the early days, great, but, you know... I, I really love Dio. I mean, Dio was uh, that voice and uh, just, I don't know, I'm a Dio fan, so I guess that's that's why I like the Dio era as, as well as any, if not more than any. How does Dio rank on the greatest singers of all time? Uh, to me, he would be in the top, to me, top five. Nice. If, probably, yeah. Incredible voice. I mean, just so powerful, and uh, and it always seems so easy for him. Uh, just a gosh, incredible singer. Uh, he's yeah, definitely top five for me. Uh, this is a hard one. Um, Dio is my preferred Black Sabbath singer. Pretty much always has been. I love the Ozzy stuff too, but uh, Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules are just amazing records. Um, with Ozzy, I. I, you know, I'm the weird person that likes technical ecstasy, sabotage. Um, I appreciate the early stuff, but it's a little too dirgy for me. And then for Tony Martin, uh, Headless Cross, that's the best record I think he did with him. Although Tear is a decent record, too, even though Rob Kern's going to yell at me for saying that. I like it all. I really do. But it started out with me with the Ozzy albums and listening to my dad's stuff. He had the black sabbath volume four he had paranoid he had masters of reality man those albums i love them so much and then for years later to grow up a little bit and become a teenager and have the ozzy albums you know and so it was like wow my dad had sabbath and now i've got ozzy 
I'm a man now. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, the Ozzy era songs are always going to be super special to me. And next to Kiss, Black Sabbath and the Ozzy era is easily my second favorite band. But come later on and discover Dio, you know, because I knew I knew about Dio as a band and their albums coming out at the time before I knew about Dio in Black Sabbath or even Rainbow and, you know, all the other bands. And so, you know, I had to go back and discover that. And I love that, too. And then from there, later on, you learn about the Tony Martin stuff that's actually coming out at the time that I'm a teenager. But I have no idea. You know, nobody's talking about Black Sabbath and the Tony Martin era, and so I don't ever hear about it. So doing this show, way, way back, we did the episode called The Other Side of Sabbath, where we basically concentrated on just the Tony Martin era. And I learned so much on that episode. Still to this day, that's one of my most fond memories of doing the show was that episode, because I personally learned so much by being forced to do research on something I knew nothing about and came away from it learning all these new songs and albums that I really dug a lot. And Tony Martin, man, that dude can freaking sing, especially on that Sabbath stuff. That dude was awesome. And so I love it all. You know, there's a little something there for everybody. I even like Ian Gillen in Sabbath. I really like the album with Glenn Hughes in Sabbath. Yeah, me too. That's some great stuff. Seventh Star. It's got Eric Singer on it, too. Yep. It's a great record. I'll take it all, man. But to me, Ozzy's always number one. Very cool. Let's see what else we got here. David, are you having fun with this? Oh, it's great. I'm learning a lot. Just bullshitting about rock and roll? It's great. All right. Eric Hernandez wants to know, I'm curious as to how this has affected local bands. I've noticed some breakups and disbandings lately, but how has it affected 8-Ball, if at all? Also, what will you change about moving forward, if anything? Uh, there's no doubt it's going to play a uh, make an impact on, on bands. I mean, it's... You know, bands have a difficult enough time with the with the egos, the girls, the money, everything else that goes into the pot that, you know, that, that seems to want to tear a band apart. Now you throw in this COVID thing where you can't play because usually playing is what keeps our sanity is the, the playing and the crowd. So, uh, you know, the bands... The real bands that are dedicated and, you know, that are into it for the music will will survive. They always do. And uh, the ones that are the ones that are just kind of messing around, I, I, I say I think you'll see a lot fall to the side because it's uh, a difficult time. You know, it, it, the cream will rise to the top, I, I will think. But. As far as where do we go, you know, it's especially with bands that are, you know, we're not, uh, we don't have the airplay or whatnot as far as the major stations, so we're not on the major tours, so we're trying to book venues, and where are we going with that? We don't know. We're uh, we're having to look at other avenues, you know. We're we're trying to look at social media and more videos. We're working on more videos ourselves to try to promote ourselves as well as we can. But, you know, I I really don't think, uh, you know, right now we can answer that truly until we see what happens in the next few months. Hopefully this thing will pass and, you know, we can be back on the normal, you know, tour schedule. But 
you know, if it don't, we're going to have to, I guess, play for less people and uh, try to uh, get our music out through great places like you guys and uh, uh, maybe more videos. That's, that's all we can do. You know, I think it'll be interesting to see, too. I think everybody listening would think, my favorite bands. Think of all your favorite bands. Now, hopefully, through all this, they're coming out with new albums real quick. So you look at a band like 8-Ball, and something like this has happened. Well, they've made great use of their time by, like David said, taking the time to really craft a really great album, which I'm telling you, they've achieved. So what are your favorite bands doing? What are my favorite bands doing besides 8-Ball? Are we going to see a huge explosion of new albums coming out? I know Enough's Enough's got something new coming out. I know I've heard a lot of rumblings of different bands have been working on stuff, but we'll see. It'll be interesting to see which bands have used this time wisely and which ones haven't. Yeah, definitely. Here's a good question for you, Chris. Is it Grayson Gallegos? Yeah. I've been saying that wrong all along. I'm sorry, Grayson. Here's a question from him. What band has been the best slash worst national touring band you've played with and why? The worst? Oh. You know, <laughs> again, you know, I played the fifth on that because the ones I've played with, you know, Next week, I might get a call and say, hey, these guys. <laughs> so, right. but, I, but I think what's telling in that is how you laugh before you say that, as if you know exactly what you you would say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, without a doubt, I do. But, you know, let me say uh, there's the good bands. You know, there's been some really good bands I've played with. I'd rather talk about the positive than the negative. Yeah, let's hear about let's the best. That, that, that way for me, please. Let's talk about the best bands. Okay. You know, recently, you know, before I, I was in another band, before I formed 8-Ball, and we opened up for Buck Cherry. And I have to say, they they were uh, – sounded good. They uh, they were really great to work with, and uh, I was impressed. They were on a hectic tour schedule, and but, you know, they had it together, so – as far as recently, I would have to say that. Going back in time, one of the bands you would think about was, was Crocus. We played with Crocus in Texas. It's in Dallas, I think. And they were Swiss band, you know, speaking, you know, they spoke a lot of German. And, and it was it was just, uh, they, they were, I can think those were two of the better bands, great bands that we have uh, I've played with before. That's cool. That's real cool. I like that. The best is better than the worst. Um, let's see here. Odorous Urungus, he's back. He wants to know, what are our thoughts <laughs> on the Gene Simmons sex tape? Uh, nauseating. <laughs> Gene, keep to playing the bass. That was what I was suggesting. Uh, <laughs> just uh, tease with your tongue instead of trying to make a tape. Lord. I just love that people branded him with the nickname Socks after it came about. I thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah, but you, you can't deny Gene Simmons' rhythm. Slow and steady. All right. Nate Atchison wants to know, other than 8-Ball, if you could be in any band, rock or not, which band would it be? So if you got the phone call tomorrow... 
what is the one band that would absolutely, before any others, pull you out of eight ball if they called and said, hey, we need a singer tomorrow? Oh, oh, oh. Well, let's see. Can I just one just one answer? <laughs> Give us uh, your top ones. Yeah, oh gosh. Man, there's there's so many great bands out there and, and I would guess I would go with, with the bands that, that I love, the front man, uh that that are successful. Uh, you know, of course it, it's he's irreplaceable, but Steven Tyler, man, I would love Earl Smith. Um and, you know, Van Halen. And I'm a big Van Halen fan, I, especially the David Lee Roth era. Uh, poor David, I think, kind of lost his way. But, man, what an incredible band. I would jump that ship. Um, Those would be fun ones for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, right off the bat, that would, be, that would be my two choices. Maybe, well, Kiss. If I could play guitar good enough, I could never <laughs> – I don't think I could do the I can play guitar a little, but not near like Paul Stanley. So, see, and David brings up a great point of why Paul Stanley is awesome again too. Because you always think about him, great frontman, awesome voice. He's also mm. playing some pretty damn good guitar at the same time. Yeah, good rhythm player. Mm-hmm. For me, my my answer is pretty simple. I I would be in the Ramones. Um, I want to be in Kiss. I don't want to really play anything. I just kind of jump around and just give me give me a, a cool. Uh, don't make me into one of the old guys. Give me my own unique <laughs> gimmick, my own unique makeup, and I just you know whatever. Set a tambourine on fire or something. It'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Exploding kazoo solo. <laughs> All right, Victor Ruiz has got one for you, David. What was your rock and pot experience like, and would you recommend it to others? Hell yeah, man! It was awesome. This was a great people to work with. I mean, the fans were great. It was just—I can't say anything about that. Dude. I mean, Chris and his lovely wife, and, and Aaron, and, and everybody there was just super. Uh, nice and everybody worked well together and there was no attitudes or egos and the bands that were brought in were were, were great it's uh, you know all I can say is uh, it was a top notch you know for rock and roll classy top notch act place to be and we were very grateful for the opportunity and really thoroughly enjoyed it I love Rockin' Pod so much. I'm so bummed out that we're not having one this year because all the bullshit going on in the world. But, you know, just to be in a place where all rock and rollers are converging, you know, people that all love and appreciate this kind of music is just the kind of thing you've always sort of dreamed of, you know, to be able to hang out in a place that with all people that are like-minded as you and as passionate about hard rock and metal music as you are. You just can't beat it. And all the great bands. Eight Ball was so awesome last year. Yeah, we did the rare hair thing with all the different special guests and stuff. And, man, it's just so much fun. And to see everybody else having a good time, enjoying the same things that you're really enjoying. You guys are going to make me cry. I know. I'm feeling like crying myself because I'm really wishing we were all getting ready for this rockin' pod that should only be a month away. Yeah, no. Well, yeah. Well, I'd be I'd be at max stress level by now, so maybe I'm a little thankful for that. <laughs> All right, here's here's another eight ball question. This one's great. It comes from Bill Elam. 
Bill wants to know, has the level of squish at shows increased since T joined the band? I bet he's a hit with the ladies. <laughs> well, hell, Bill, we've always we're at max as it is, you know. <laughs> More. <laughs> well, no kidding. Uh, oh yeah, you know the prior drummer we had was he was aware with the ladies, but yeah, T has brought a, a whole nother scene. I mean, he uh, young and old all loves T. Um, he's definitely. Uh, he stepped up the game. Uh, we have a lot of ladies after the show wanting to talk to that cute drummer. So um, the answer, Bill, is, oh, yeah. Four, four. <laughs> That's great. Rock and roll. That's awesome. Uh, let's see. Jason Bakken, our good friend Bako from Cobras and Fire, he apparently doesn't listen to the show. Because this is a question I think has come up more than once in the quarantine sessions. It's an obsession with people. They want to argue about it, but they got to know the answer. Do you like pineapple on your pizza? <laughs> Not really. We already uh, talked about this. David, do you like pineapple on your pizza? Well, it depends on if I'm eating it for my meal or for my dessert. You know. There you go. You gotta, have, you gotta have your meal pizza and your dessert pizza. Your dessert, dessert pizza. pizza has fruits on it. That's right. That's All right. right. I Marco. take pizza anyway. Hey, I live too many years on the road on, with pizza. That's something we could afford. Well, you know what they always say about pizza? It's a lot like sex. Even when it's not that great, it's still pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. Hot or cold. <laughs> Is that the pizza or the sex? <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, take it any way you can get it, right? Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. Mark Alden Taylor wants to know, do you like the Foo Fighters, and what do you like to drink while listening to music? You a Foo Fighters fan? Yeah, I, I like the Foo Fighters. I wouldn't put them top of the list, but yeah. I have to give the guy credit, you know, after the Nirvana thing. Uh, I think, yeah, yeah, I like their music. I, like I do. The, I think the um, Foo Fighters got some really damn good songs. I mean, would I consider them one of my absolute favorite bands? No, but they could have the potential to be. I think they have it in them to be able to put on an album that would be a complete album to me that I think, wow, this is awesome. If I put together like a mixtape of Foo Fighters mm -hmm. songs, if I go through and pick and choose stuff, it's awesome. But not all yeah. of it's for me, I don't think. No, no. I, I agree with that, but there's a, there's a few things that I do like food fighters. And as far as the drink, I mean, I'm not, you know, at this stage of my life, I was, uh, <laughs> it's whatever, whatever, you know, somebody's uh, got a bottle of at the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not choicey uh, too many years of whatever's available, but I'm not a Russian, but I love vodka. I like vodka. I do some Bloody Marys. Oh, yeah. And I like beer. Oh, yeah. You can't beat the beer. Kamikaze, something like that. That was good. Chris, I know, wants to talk about some crazy hipster IPA he's got now going on. Yeah, I'm drinking something now called Hippies and Cowboys IPA. It's a local beer. Of course you with, are. Of with course a pic you are. picture of a guy with a bandana and a... And a beard, so it kind of looks like Aaron Camaro. I like it. I like it already. I changed my yeah. tune. It sounds delicious. I like the Foo Fighters okay. 
I think Dave Grohl screams a little too much. Same issue I have with Tom Mariah from Slayer. But uh, I like them better than Nirvana. I'll say that. And, uh, yeah, I drink IPAs. So what? <laughs> Nobody's saying nothing. Take it easy. De-escalate. Mooger Fuger wants to know, favorite Dio guitarist? Oh, wow. I got to go with Tony Iommi. I mean, if we're talking about any guitarist that ever played with Dio, it's got to be Iommi, right? Maybe Richie Blackmore? Uh, uh, that's Dio. I'm, I prefer Vivian Campbell. Over Tony Iommi? Well, I'm, I You're mean, just for, for playing with Dio, I guess. I don't know. I mean, damn, that's a hard one, man. That is a I hard mean, you one got, because Dio is just, the kind of guy that always gets the very best guitar players for what I he's know. doing at the moment. But if, what if we're just talking about Dio the band? Hmm. I'd go with Vivian, but a second runner-up would be Rowan. Rowan Robertson. Yeah, definitely. I think my number one is going to be Rowan Robertson. I have to go with Vivian. I, I really think, I mean, Holy Diver. Uh, yeah. Last in line. I mean, bad, badass guitar player. I'll take Vivian Campbell and Dio over Vivian Campbell and Def Leppard every day, twice on Sunday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Let's see. Where are we at? We're at the end. All right. Well, that brings us to the most important questions of all, the questions for Beat the Geek. I'm your host, Aaron Camaro. You know how it works. We've got the geek. That's Chris Sinzak. We've got his challenger, David from 8-Ball, and we are going to put him head-to-head in a rock and roll trivia contest that is the greatest game show of all time, Beat the Geek. So if you guys are ready, I'm sure you're aware of the rules. If not, we'll figure it out as we go. As Beat the Geek goes, the geek goes first. Chris, are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Here's your first question, and you're going to love it because it's about one of your favorites. The cover of Alice Cooper's 1973 album looks like a dirty paper bag. But the inner sleeve artwork features the band dressed as sailors before and after patronizing this establishment. So you got the cover of Muscle of Love. It looks like a dirty paper bag, right? Everybody knows that one, right? Mm-hmm. You take the cover off, you look at the inner sleeve, you got the band on one side, they're all happy and smiles, and they're about to go into a place. You flip it over on the other side, it's them later on, after being in said place, laying all over the street, beat up, drunk, passed out. We're trying to figure out what kind of establishment it was. David, does Chris know the answer, or do you want to bet against him? Sure, he knows it. All right, David's got a lot of faith in you. He knows who the geek is. He knows you're on a one-game winning streak. Are you ready? <laughs> These are your choices. Is the band patronizing Doubting Tommy's Peep Outlet, a midget burlesque show, a nude wrestling emporium, or the Easy Problems Pub? <sighs> Not big on this record. I obviously knew about the paper bag thing. I must say, the uh, what was the last one? Your choices, I'll give you the choices again. The first one, Doubting Tommy's Peep Outlet, a midget burlesque show, a nude wrestling emporium, or the Easy Problems Pub. 
Nude Wrestling Emporium. That is correct. That was a guess. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Yeah, they, they, they're all excited about going in, and then they're all out in the street afterwards. You were not bet against, so you get one point. Nice job on that one. I thought I was going to stump you on it. Well, I was thinking of what would wear them out and make them exhausted, so that was all I could come up with. Nude wrestling every time. Yeah. All right, David, it's your turn. Oh, boy. Which of the following well-known rock musicians never served in the military? I got four names. Three of them did. One of them didn't. We got to figure out which one never served in the military. Chris, do you think he knows it? I'm going to say he knows it. All right, David. He's not betting against you. Your choices are Ronnie Van Zant, Jimi Hendrix, John Fogarty, or Ray Manzarek. I don't think uh, did Ron, I don't think Ronnie Van Zant did. That is correct. Jimi Hendrix, John Fogarty, Ray Manzarek all enlisted in the army. Ronnie Van Zant never did. Chris didn't bet against you, but nice job. You got that one right. Score cool. is one to one. Great question. Nice one. Yeah, we're off good. to a good start. All right, Chris, it's your turn. Which of the following iconic rock albums charted the highest in 1975? I've got four kick-ass rock albums right here. We got to know, in 1975, which one of these was ended up highest on the U.S. album charts? David, does he know it, or do you want to bet against him? 1975, 1975. Mm. Ah, I think Chris will know it. Yeah. All right, Chris, he's not betting against you. Your choices are Queen, A Night at the Opera, Aerosmith, Toys in the Attic, Bad Company, Straight Shooter, or Black Sabbath, Sabotage. Which one of these albums charted the highest in the U.S. in 1975? Let me first just say that I hate that you give me these chart questions. Um, hey, it's just a matter of popularity. You just got to look at it and say, which one of these albums was the most popular in 1975? I know. Uh, I'll say Queen, A Night at the Opera. That is incorrect. Well, damn. Mm. Actually, Queen came in. Their highest charting spot in 75 was number four. Black Sabbath Sabotage was 28. Aerosmith peaked in 75 with Toys in the Attic at 11, and Bad Company Straight Shooter went to number three. That's the correct answer. Shit. Well, damn. So David did not bet against you, and you got it wrong. No points awarded. We're still tied two to two. And David, it's your turn. Okay. After the demise of Deep Purple, Glenn Hughes teamed up with Pat Thrall to release the Hughes Thrall album in 1982. Which of the following drummers played on that album? Pretty big album comes out in 1982. Pretty well-received, popular album. Everybody knows Pat Thrall, Glenn Hughes. I mean, they're the names of the band. Also pretty famous drummer in that band, too. Chris, do you think David knows it? Um... Yeah, I'll say he knows this one. All right. You guys are not betting against each other in this game. Playing it safe. Here are your choices, David. In Hughes Thrall, the drummer, was it Bobby Blotzer of Rat, Frankie Benali of Quiet Riot, Mick Brown of Dokken, or Leonard Hayes of YNT? Mm. 
One last, can I have that one last time? What was your name? Bobby Blotzer from Rat, Frankie Benali from Quiet Riot, Mick Brown of Dokken, or Leonard Hayes of YNT. Uh, it's a tough one. Everybody knows Hughes Thrall. Nobody thinks about who the drummer was on that album. Frankie? That is correct. Uh, nice uh, guess, David. Phew. I own that on vinyl. There's actually a couple of different drummers on there, but Frankie Benali was the only one of those listed right there. But yeah, I didn't know that. Pretty cool. I learned a lot of shit putting together the questions for Beat the Geek. (laughs) A lot of useless stuff. Someday if I'm ever on Beat the Geek, I'm going to be pretty good. But I'm the host. (laughs) Therein lies the curse. All right, Chris, your turn. The score now two to one. David in the lead. What a this one's off to a slow defensive battle. The nineteen eighty nine Grammy Awards are infamous for Jethro Tull beating Metallica for the first ever Best Hard Rock slash Metal Performance Award. Everybody remembers that. But does anybody remember that there was also three other bands that got beat too? I'm gonna give you four bands. One of them doesn't belong. Other bands besides Metallica, Jethro Tull beat for that award in 1989. David, do you think Chris knows the answer? I'll say, yeah. I'm going to play a set. All right. Still playing it safe, Chris. You're not being bet against. So, welcome to the 1989 Grammy Awards for the first time ever. Nominated for the best hard rock metal performance is... Jethro Tull, Metallica, but which one of these? ACDC, Iggy Pop, Jane's Addiction, or Van Halen? Three of them were, one of them was not. Uh, I I didn't think that For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge came out until later, so I'm going to say Van Halen. Nice deduction. That is correct. Yeah, I mean, everyone talks about, well, Jethro Tull beat Metallica, but ACDC, Iggy Pop, and Jane's Addiction were also nominated. But you figured that one out. See, that's the fun of it. So you get a point. You were not bet against. The score is tied 2-2. Two to two. Nice. What an exciting game. <laughs> it ain't a blowout, that's for sure. All right, David, you're hanging in there real good with the geek. You're doing pretty awesome. Here's your question. The music video for the Twisted Sister song, Be Cruel to Your School, features the band along with Alice Cooper. It also features this comedian playing the role of a demented school teacher. Chris, do you think David remembers the video for Be Cruel to Your School? I don't know, but I'm going to go ahead and mix it up and I'm going to bet against him. All right, this could make a big difference in the score being that it's so tight. David, you are being bet against. Your choices are Sam Kinison, Bobcat Goldthwait, Mark Marin, or Pauly Shore. Who was the comedian playing the teacher? Uh, uh, maybe on rim, but I, th- I think Sam Kinison. That is incorrect. Actually, it was crazy old Bobcat Goldthwait. Yeah, I remember that. All right, so Chris Uh-oh. bet against you. You got it wrong, so Chris gets the point. Okay. Putting Chris in the lead, three to two. And now it's Chris's question. 
in the 1991 classic motion picture, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, the duo are attempting to gain access into heaven when they are stopped at the gates and asked, what is the meaning of life? They recite the lyrics of this song to prove their worth. David, you know he remembers Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, but do you think he remembers the song they quoted to get into heaven? Mm, I say he does. All right, you're not being bet against, Chris. Did they recite the lyrics too? You don't know what you got till it's gone by Cinderella. Every rose has its thorn by Poison. Yankee Rose by David Lee Roth. Or Flight of Icarus by Iron Maiden. I think it was Every Rose Has a Thorn. That is correct. I don't know where that came from, but that timing was perfect. I'm going to leave it in. (laughs) I was like, damn, Aaron's getting fancy with the sound effect. Wow, yeah, on the spot. Thanks, whoever. (laughs) All right, if you heard that ding, then you know it's time for the kiss round. Double the points in the kiss round. David, your question. What was the first song Eric Carr ever performed with Kiss in front of a live audience? Eric Carr replaces Peter Chris. Which song is the very first one he ever played live? Chris, does David know the answer to this? I'm going to say, yeah, he knows this one. All right, you're not being bet against. Was the first song Eric Carr ever played live with Kiss, was it... Love Gun, Detroit Rock City, Deuce, or King of the Nighttime World? Mm. Well, I guess I will have to say... I'm going to have to guess because I don't really don't know. Baby. What was it? <laughs> King of the Nighttime World and what? Love Gun, Detroit Rock City, Deuce, or King of the Nighttime World? Uh, I'm guessing at this Detroit Rock City. That is correct. (laughs) And in the kiss round, since Chris did not bet against you, that's two points. Ties up the score. We're now looking at four to four. Chris has turned in the kiss round. He's good in the kiss round most of the time because he's a big nerd about kiss. Yeah. So we're talking about drummers and we're talking about firsts. So what was the first song Eric Singer ever performed with Kiss in front of a live audience? David, the same thing, reversed to him, different drummer. Eric Carr replaced Peter Chris. Eric Singer replaced Eric Carr. David, does he know it? I'll say no. Ooh. Big points on the line now. Double points you're being bet against. Chris, your choices are Lick It Up, Heaven's on Fire, Love Gun, or Deuce. It was Love Gun. That is correct. And double the points since David bet against you. That's one, two, three, four. Wow. The kiss round can make a huge difference. That brings the score, Chris, in the lead, eight to four. Wowee. And since this game show goes to 11, we've got two more questions. All right, David, I'm going to give you the names of four legendary rock musicians that have all passed away before their time. What we got to figure out is who died first. Chris, 
they're legends. I guarantee you that everybody's heard of every single person, all four of these guys on the list. I'm going to lay them out, and David's got to let us know who died first. Do you think he knows it? Uh, I'll say he knows it. All right. It's pretty tough. David, your choice is who died first? Bon Scott, John Bonham, John Lennon, or Bob Marley? Ooh, that is tough. Bon Scott, John Bonham, John Lennon, or Bob Marley? John Bonham. That is incorrect. I would have never got this right had I not known the answer, is Bon Scott. He died in February of 1980. John Bonham died in September of 80. John Lennon in December of 80. And Bob Marley in May of 81. Damn. No points awarded. That's a damn good question. I'm proud of myself for that one. That's a great question. All right, Chris. The final question in Beat the Geek. David, you might as well just go ahead and bet against him just for the hell of it. Yeah, I will. It's going to be tough to come back from 8 to 4. But, Chris, your question. Before joining Accept in 2009, Mark Tornillo, if I pronounce that right, was the lead vocalist of this band. So Mark Tornillo is the current lead singer of Accept. He's been there for many years, since 2009, over 10 years now. Awesome. I love the new Accept. But he was in a band before he was in Accept. David, does Chris know it? We're going to bet against him. Chris, here's your choices. Dirty Looks, Baron Cross, T.T. Quick, or Converge? I know this one because I like the band. It's T.T. Quick. That is correct. And Chris, can you believe it? You've won two weeks in a row. That's about damn time. (laughs) But David, I got to tell you, I'm impressed. You answered some pretty tough questions. They are good questions, and hey, I don't mind losing to a geek. Hey, I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah, there you, you go. Get to, you get to be a rock star, and I get to be a geek. <laughs> so who's really the winner here? Uh, we're all winners here. We're all winners, Chris. Anybody that's witnessed this episode of the Decibel Geek Podcast, we're all winners. David, tell us again about the new album. When's it coming out? When can we get it? We had a little issue with a. The mastering I was done, it was a little issue with we're doing, doing an eight-page panel on the desk, and uh, they, they sent the artwork back, and we had to resubmit that to our web designers. So nice. they're telling me that, see, the we should have in production next week. So uh, the time they clear it on, we'll have disc. I'll get you guys some disc. We should have you some disc the following week, and I'll uh, – I FedEx some to Chris, and he can share those with you guys. And then uh, should be on a uh, line available right after that. So uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, by the end of the month at the at the latest. So we're looking for that. Uh, Love struck. I uh, hope everybody likes it. We've uh, put a lot of work into it. Yeah, like well, I said uh, at the top of the show, man, from what I've heard so far, I like it a lot through and through. And you know what? From what you just said, as a CD collector, 
in the year 2020. I know there's not many of us left, but I really appreciate you guys putting something in there like an eight-page booklet because when I get a CD, I like to listen to it. I like to open it up. I like to look at the sleeve. It reminds me of when I was a kid unfolding the cassette sleeve or pulling out the album and looking at the paper sleeve on the inside, and I always appreciate it. Even in this day and age where maybe there's not a lot of us buying CDs anymore, but the ones of us that still do, we really like stuff like that. Yeah, and we have a lot of fans that do, and 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 we're like I said, we're old, old school as well. And you know the days, we, you know when you buy something, you like seeing, you know, you like something you can put in your hands and open up and look at, and uh, that's what we try to do. So hopefully, hopefully everyone will like it. But uh, again, appreciate you guys uh, listening to it, and I'll get I'll get CDs to you just as soon as they're here. So hell yes. What you let us know what you think about the artwork we put a little work into the uh, the graphic design of the uh, the cover and all so we got to get your opinion on it so let us know right on I can't wait to see it Chris you got anything before we wrap it up besides of course go to the Facebook page like it and get in on the conversation yeah please uh, leave some reviews on Podchaser Facebook and on Apple iTunes and David just thanks again so much for coming on we're glad we can help spread the word on the album but you've been a good sport through a lot of strange questions so thank you for coming on <laughs> my pleasure guys thank you so much for all your support and uh, thank all the, the podcasters and everyone out there that's uh, supporting the music it's, uh, it's, it's really great for us and we, we really do appreciate it thank you guys all right, cool. David, what song are we playing to wrap up the show today? I don't know. <laughs> Pick one off the new it, album that we can album? play. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's do the, well, hey, Chris, you pick. You like Harder, Faster, or Love Strip? Which one you want to play? I think for our audience, Harder, Faster would probably be yeah. the best one to go out on.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.